0: I'm Alyssa Deweis And I'm Sharon DeRozier. And this is Faculty Roundtable, the podcast where faculty discuss faculty development. This is a production by the Rothwell Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence. Each episode will feature a new group of Embry-Riddle worldwide faculty members discussing teaching strategies and innovative solutions to common online classroom concerns. On this episode of Faculty Roundtable, we'll be talking with three Embry-Riddle professors, Emily Falconer, James Sultan, and Patrick Sherman, about how they engage with their students in the online environment. Thank you guys all again for joining us for this pilot episode of Faculty Roundtable. And I'm Alyssa DeWeese. I'm an instructional consultant over in RCTLE. And I am Sharon DeRoger. I am also an instructional consultant at RCTLE. So let's turn it over to Emily, if you would like to go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I am an associate professor in the Department of Math, Science, and Technology, and I have been with Embry-Riddle since 2012, but I came over to the worldwide campus in 2016. Go ahead, Patrick.
2: Well, I think I probably come to this with a unique background compared to most of my colleagues. My only formal aeronautical training was earning my private pilot certificate when I was in college. Um, However, about 12 years ago, when no one had ever really heard of civilian drones, UAS, uncrewed aircraft systems, I became just fascinated with the nascent technology and and just sort of dedicated myself to it. And my background in journalism and writing and I think video production sort of led to me becoming a a recognized person and then a recognized authority within the industry, which eventually brought me here to Embry-Riddle. I've been at the worldwide campus, gosh, for only about a year and a half now. So this is all still relatively new to me, but maybe that helps me bring an outsider perspective.
0: That is awesome. James, go ahead.
3: Great, well, first let me say that it's an honor to be um, part of this group. I am a very proud uh, two-time alum of Emory So I've been affiliated with the university since 2000, um, and
1: I've been teaching as an adjunct instructor at the worldwide campus. Since 2010. Um, So one of the reasons I'm really excited to participate is because I
3: love giving back. I can remember being a student myself and being connected to the university today as an adjunct allows me to remember those days, but also provide, I think, some opportunities for the students that are involved in the programs there.
0: Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And thank you guys all for being here today. Let's just go ahead and get into the topic for today, student engagement, instructor engagement. Do you all perceive that there are challenges with instructor student engagement in online education? And you can specifically speak to your experience here at Worldwide. Let's just go ahead and
1: start with Emily. Do you have any thoughts? Sure. So um, we don't really have the role course monitor anymore, but I can kind of speak back to what I directly observed as course monitor, where in that role, we were kind of checking in with the adjuncts that were teaching the classes in our disciplinary area. And one thing that I saw was that there were Very different approaches to teaching the online classes. Some instructors were kind of ghosting just like in the background and they'd only uh, be engaged uh, when asked to. And then others were like swamping the class just like there all the time. And there's probably a happy medium (laughs) uh, for it. Uh, And then A little bit more recently, I've been doing some research on community of inquiry and cognitive load, and I've been doing um, student interviews. And what I've heard from those interviews is that students really want their instructors to be present and engaged. That is like the resounding thing. The students want the opportunity to have conversations and connections with us.
0: Yeah, I love that term, instructor ghosting.
2: Oh, well, I was just going to say, it, 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 to hear Emily's comments are fascinating because she had this role of a course monitor and so presumably could look in and see what other instructors were doing as a relatively recent uh, member of the Embry-Riddle family. That's not an experience I've ever had. And I uh, to me, that makes it very difficult to answer that question, you know, sort of across the university, across the worldwide campus as to whether or not there's an engagement problem, because the only group I ever interact with is my own students and I, I have no visibility into other instructors classrooms and so so it's, it's very hard in fact I would say impossible for me to speak to what's happening across the entire campus um, I so I would only speak for myself and say that and so it's very so I don't have any visibility across you know the entire campus what I what I would say is that I think you know whenever you're trying to have a meaningful engagement with somebody 7,000 miles, away from you uh that's going to be a very problematic undertaking so i'm not surprised that's something we struggle with but emily i'd love to learn more about your research that sounds like exactly the sort of thing i'd like to learn more about
1: sorry i didn't think to add my own personal um experiences in the class i was thinking more of just as course monitor monitoring my research but um just speaking to the student engagement piece one thing that i really think we're in a nine-week course which is really fast. And most of our students have family life, careers, hobbies that they're balancing. And so I think when it comes to engagement, it can be really hard to get away from the box checking mentality, both for students and instructors.
2: Another great point, Ellie.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right
0: about checking that box. And I'm wondering how much of that is is just an issue that's really endemic to online education in general. And 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 I think that segues into what you guys are doing or looking into as instructors here at Worldwide to combat that feeling of disconnection with your students who, as you said, may be thousands of miles away.
3: You now one of the things that I think has been really effective is starting off with that personal connection, whether you're in an online environment or in face to face. I think when the students know that you care about them, care about their well-being and their learning, that they will engage back. And so I think the the foundational pieces of starting a class the right way by introducing yourself, um, responding to those individuals by name and keying in on their interests, let them know that it's more uh, than just going through each module and, and grading those assignments, which is what I think makes Embry Riddle different. And when Um, Emily mentioned uh, being able to see some of the things that other instructors are doing. I'm sure that what she found and perhaps what her research is showing is that the more that you can uh, build that relationship, develop that professional learning community, create a way for students to latch on to something in addition to the course content is really what will pay volumes when it comes to being able to uh, have that the students respond to the things that you're trying to put out to engage them in the learning.
0: And James, you do a lot of videos in your courses, right? I'm wondering if maybe that is something that's worked well for you in order to, to establish that connection with your students and build that relationship like what you were talking about.
3: I think so. Um, one of the things that I, it really just that I found really is it depends on the learner. And so sometimes you can get uh, people to Turn their videos on and respond to you in video, but some people are more comfortable with the text, and so it just depends on the individual. So what I try to do in my classes, and right or wrong, but just been my experience that if you vary that level of interaction, so you might start with a video one week uh, using the voice for different graded assignment, and even using the text base, so that you give students all those different avenues to respond. I think that allows them to feel. A, more comfortable, but B, and almost more importantly, able to internalize the feedback that you're providing.
0: Especially thinking about how you're coming across in terms of tone with your feedback that maybe having that personal element using that audio visual feedback or audio or visual feedback, you could really uh, convey a little bit more than you could just writing your feedback down. I know, Patrick, you use a lot of videos in your courses. How do you think that's helped you build connection with your students or or has it?
2: Well, I, I think it has helped me significantly build connections with my students. But I think almost far more importantly than that, it's helped me build connections between the various students. Uh, from what I can discern, it seems like I'm using a relatively uncommon approach at this point on the worldwide campus, and that is to produce what are called global feedback videos. This wasn't an initial suggestion from my Department of Flight colleague, Dr. Scott Burgess, but I sort of took it and ran with it, and that is, as opposed to recording video or audio telling you know John or Jane what I think of their work this week, I record one video which is directed to the entire class. And out of that week's assignment, I pull up representative samples of things that worked very well and maybe some things that didn't work really well. I think that in addition to, you know, obviously never sharing a classroom with our students, another big disadvantage of this online format is that our students are disconnected from one another. They can't sort of compare notes on their papers as they walk out of class together. So by share by allowing them to see one another's work, anonymized, of course, when um You know, when appropriate, uh, they can I think they can get a sense for, you know, obviously what's working and maybe they can even be inspired by their fellow students who are doing an especially good job and that they're also able to, uh, you know, learn from others mistakes, which is in many ways, I think, the most valuable because then that's a mistake they don't have to make themselves.
1: So speaking to that point about students not having connections between each other, I think it's awesome to try to find ways to do the, to make those connections in our classes. But I did want to kind of share something that has come up twice now independently, and all faculty members that I have spoken with have been completely unaware of it. Our students are very, very active in a Discord server. So we don't, think that they're interacting with each other outside of class, but they are a lot. They have a version of Rate My Professor. They are taking classes in cohorts together where they're getting together and saying, I'm in this degree program, let's take these four classes together. So um, students have kind of built a network of support and collaboration through a Discord server, which don't ask me how it works. I don't know. I've never done it.
2: That's awesome. That is really cool.
3: I'd have to see how I'm rated on there, Emily. But one of the things that you're you're talking about, and I think that you're really pointing to, is that they will find a way. Students will find a way to engage. They'll find a way to enhance their learning and they'll find a way to, to build those networks. And how great would it be to be able to tap into that and put some information out there and say, you know, what do you want to see? And and perhaps that would give us an opportunity to bolster the things that are working and perhaps shed the things that are not.
0: And I'm wondering, is there anything or any tips and tricks that you guys use in your course right now to tap into that student-to-student connection that you were talking about or foster those student-to-student connections in addition to something like global feedback videos?
1: Well, James had mentioned like getting to know your students at the beginning of the class. And so one thing that I try to do is I lean into the idea that I'm not always the expert in the room. So a lot of my students are very, very knowledgeable in how some of these introductory chemistry or environmental science class, uh, concepts, because those are the classes I teach. Um, they're very knowledgeable about how that looks in a, a very specific setting. Uh, I'm not an aviation person. Uh, and so they might have a lot more expertise and depth about what those concepts look like in that very specialized setting. And so I often refer back to who the experts in the room are on those topics. And I'll be like, hey, you actually work with hydraulics. Let's talk about that now, because that's really relevant to what we're talking about in this module. So, I, And if there's more than one student, I'll ask them, like, hey, can you guys both share your perspectives on what this looks like in your job?
2: Yeah. And to back up what Emily just said, I also find that's true. I mean, my My expertise is incredibly narrow being small civilian UAS operations, drones. Um, However, we've got obviously a lot of military students enrolled at Embry-Riddle and a lot of uh, military drone operators. And no surprise, some of those want to transition their military skills into the civilian world now that civilian drones are a thing. So, yeah, I'm always grateful when somebody with that background can step into the class, and I very much try to engage them just as Emily suggests you know, to share their experience and expertise. And and like she said, and I think that's exactly right, I never assume, you know, I'm sitting up on the mountain handing down wisdom. I, I assume I'm just part of the crowd.
0: You guys were referring earlier to the ways that you defer to students when they have specific types of expertise. And I'm wondering where exactly you're doing that. Is that happening in discussions or in optional Zoom sessions? Where's this communication taking place?
1: Discussions for me, um, I have to rein myself in because I like the discussions a little bit too much. <laughs> so I try not to swamp the discussions.
2: Yeah, for me, um, it's it's been interesting. I, I, I to first of all, to Emily's point, I really enjoyed the discussions too. However, what I found as I began doing these global feedback videos was that if I, you know, participated too much in the discussion initially, That ironically gave me less to say when it came to the feedback video because I'd already, you know, made some of my points in writing. So I found myself actually sort of pulling back on that in favor of essentially adding my comments to the discussion through the video. I think that's valuable because, you know, they can hear me talk about the issues in my own voice. I can make connections between multiple points in the discussion. And so how I've done it um, is if I know somebody's a real expert in something that we're going to be discussing that week, I will reach out to that student privately and say, hey, you know, I know that you, you know, know a lot about this subject. I'd really appreciate it in this week's discussion if you, you know, amplified and talked about your, you know, personal experience relevant to, to the topic we're talking about.
0: Wow. How do your students respond to that?
2: With me, I'll be I'll be excited to hear what Emily's experience has been. But with mine, I, they typically seem, you know, very engaged. You know, I think I think students like being acknowledged and respected for the knowledge and expertise they possess. I just just like the rest of us, I suppose.
1: When I call on students individually as experts on a topic, they. Even if they're already, quote unquote, done in the discussions, um, they've already checked those boxes. If they see it, you know, if I didn't post it too close to the end of the discussion, then they usually respond and will go into great detail uh, and often get into side conversations with each other about it. That's awesome. And I'm thinking I know you, Emily, do a really interesting, I
0: suppose I should call it an introductory activity for your students to replace the introduction discussion. I think you use mural for that, right? And I, I was just thinking to myself that I, I'm wondering if going into that extra detail in having students introduce themselves and introduce a lot of details about their lives in the beginning of the course would then help you to make those connections in discussion. But if you could maybe speak a little bit to what you do for these introduction activities and how maybe it helps you to. Build those connections and maintain those connections with students through the through
1: the course. Sure, I'm actually pretty new to Mural, so I have um, I've played around with it a couple times. Uh, I will say that building it takes a lot of work. Once it's built, it's done, and it's easy to recycle for future use, but it was definitely a learning curve for me, so anybody that's curious about using Mural, just go into it with the understanding that it's going to take a while to get used to doing it the right way, and you're going to end up like, because you end up accidentally moving things around, not on purpose, and like you have to put them back and all that. But in the classes that I have used it in, the student's Really liked it because it was so different. I had a lot of different types of get to know you type activities in there, where some of them were, you know, share a picture of this, or you know, describe yourself in three words here, or you know, just different things to to help them get to know each other. Um, one of them was like leave a quote that that you like. Um, I like quotes, inspirational quotes. So the students responded positively to it.
2: Emily, could you briefly describe what mural is or how it works?
1: It's a platform that has a ton of free options for online collaboration methods <laughs> and the one that I used um, was one of the they have a lot of de- they have hundreds of templates you can choose from and it was a template for introducing yourself to a class so I just I modified it because I didn't like all of the prompts that were um, in the template so I modified it to make it what I wanted that introduction to be but essentially it kind of walks the students through a room like it's got a bunch of connected rooms and it's like it starts them at number Number one and in number one they do this little get to know you activity Then then you know when they're done with that it moves them over to room number two they do that and it's you know they're in rooms by themselves you know if somebody else is doing it at the same time they will be able to see if somebody adds something because it's real time so if if i'm in it and somebody's also in room two and just added a picture i can see it as soon as that picture shows up but it's not necessarily designed to be a synchronous activity it's uh, intended to be an asynchronous get to know you and the students can uh, look through and easily see what their classmates have shared about themselves.
2: Interesting. Thank you.
0: Yeah, one thing I really enjoyed about it is that it allowed students to, I guess, get to know a little bit about the common interests, the common careers, the common hobbies that they share with other students in the classroom. So I I know when I briefly took a look at your mural page, some of the students were bonding about a love for similar anime shows. And I believe two students discovered that they had the same motorcycle. And it did kind of foster that sense of connection that you guys were talking about earlier as being so important. How are the rest of you going about learning and remembering all these little details about your individual students, like who has expertise where and what career someone might be in? Are you, um, do you do anything, anything special?
3: You know, one of the things that I try to do is to make sure that the students have an opportunity to share those things. And usually in the questions that I ask them, you know, outside of the general where are you from but how are you doing Uh, but more about the personal aspects of their life that you were just talking about with Miro that I think highlights the individual but also allows them to come together to find those common interests and start sharing out on their own and that's been my experience is when they start sharing those little tidbits that are personal that's what energizes the class and that's what keeps people really involved longer term throughout the course.
0: I know we talked earlier a little bit about how you use video in your courses and how video can build connections between you and the student, but also connections between student to student. And I'm wondering if any of you use either video sessions or maybe optional Zoom sessions To incorporate direct instruction into your classes, meaning that you are teaching in a way that is similar to what you would do in the face to face classroom, kind of teaching directly to the students.
3: So, I've been very fortunate, I think, to have that opportunity providing an alternative to the discussion board. And what I've done is try to offer it at least twice a a term and not making it mandatory, but just saying, here's a a synchronous opportunity to learn, and by and large, I'm usually able to get 50% of the students to sign in to that session where they get a chance to learn about uh, something related to the module objective or the learning outcome for that particular course, and that really has proven to be very successful, I think, in getting people to not only buy in, but to facilitate that live discussion. The important thing is to provide an alternative, because as we talked about, students are thousands of miles and separated from each other, and so that includes time zones, and by providing them with that opportunity for synchronous learning, but certainly not harming the student by uh, if they're not able to participate. So that's been um, something that's been very helpful. One other thing that I've done, which isn't true synchronous, but it does, I think, help is using either the Canvas Studio or even a, another software uh, that, uh, called Loom, And what that software does is allow for uh, a screen recording in addition to recording the video. So I can go through a PowerPoint presentation, provide some voiceover or show a website or even a text or a video where I can add my own comments and my perspective. Then pasting that, whether it be a link or an embedded HTML code as a announcement or discussion board posting it allows students to, to log in and get that lecture in an asynchronous fashion in this case, but sometimes they are able to uh, respond and, and provide questions and start even a separate discussion based on that.
2: Sort of in that vein, I maybe I, I should have described in a little more detail what I do is typically in my global feedback videos they begin with me on camera sort of talking about you know whatever the subject was that week and sort of sharing some of my own insights and ideas regarding that. But then the bulk of the video is spent looking at the student's work. And by that, I mean, I screen capture, sounds very much like what James is doing, uh, samples of the student's own work. And then I will highlight a particular passage in a written thing, or I'll bring up, you know, a slide from a PowerPoint presentation, again, anonymized as appropriate, to sort of highlight what the students are doing. So I'll bring up, you know, a, a chunk of somebody's essay and I'll, I'll talk about, you know, you know, what I think works really well, what maybe could have been done better, You know, what some of my own thoughts and reflections are on the point they're making. And so I I think that's, I think James is making an excellent point about how you can, you know, use your voice along with an image captured, in my case, of the student's own work to engage with them and to sort of reinforce that learning.
3: Patrick, I think you make such an excellent point about the value in sharing student work. One of the things that uh, I was almost remiss in not sharing earlier is just about those constant, those constant announcements. I think oftentimes if you can provide that introduction uh, to the module, it it goes a long way in providing some context, but throughout the module, if you could post once or twice in addition to that welcome announcement, I I do think it goes a long way. What I've gotten to the habit of doing is on Saturdays or the second to last day of the module is I will post a, a kind of a series that I call shout outs and call outs. And in that, series, I do um, find an opportunity and I use the attendance list, I'll be honest, as I make sure that every student gets a shout out during the term. But I will highlight that work, whether it be a discussion board posting, it'll be uh, an assignment, uh, it'll be a paper that they've written. uh, But I will actually do a screen share and show that work and show why it was exemplary during that last module. What I'll also do is to call out student who might need some, uh, I don't want to say attention, but just that I want the class to take a look at their discussion board posting. And so I'll provide some additional resources or readings or things like that, that I will post in their discussion to encourage deeper thought. And so that student will then say, okay, you know, Dr. Salton is calling me out this particular module. I'm going to go in sometime over the weekend or during those last two days of the module and respond to his question, or look at that reading and share share. And I found that it has been pretty successful in being able to get the students to know that hey, I'm paying attention uh, as the instructor, but also that they have an opportunity to know that their work and their contributions are valuable to the learning experience of the entire class.
2: Oh yeah, that I mean that that sounds very very familiar to what I'm doing. Except so I do it almost every week. I mean, I don't depending on the size of the class, I don't get to every student every week. But, you know, I I try to highlight a good sampling of them. My segment, similar to your shout outs and call outs, is called the good, the bad and the ugly. And um, there I take a look at, obviously, well, the good, the bad and the ugly. But with the with the let's say the more problematic entries, I always try and take a very positive coaching approach to, you know, I mean, part of it is I think if the student's not receiving a great grade, they want to know why. So, you know, I've described, you know, mechanically or whatever it may be, how something could be done better to get that better grade next time out but I also want them to understand you know, why this is happening. And like I said, I think they learn so much from seeing one another's mistakes. Really, I uh, James or Emily, I'd be curious to hear from both of you. But to me, the single biggest advantage of the global feedback approach I've seen is that the students' work improves so much better than so much more quickly than by providing individual feedback. And I think that's because they can build off each other's strengths, not just their own.
1: Well, I would love to know what you're doing to get students to actually <laughs> listen to the, those videos because I have, um, I've had trouble with those videos in my classes where I was doing global feedback and then I was having students ask me questions that was answered in the global feedback because they weren't using it. Um, so any advice that you have for driving students toward that global feedback would be greatly appreciated.
2: Sure, um, I don't know that I have any you know there's there's no magic bullet, and indeed i would be i'd like to work with our friends at r c t l e or you know running the l m s to um to to sort of fortify this position uh which is for example, I have no way of tracking who's watched the videos but but sort of the opposite of the experience it sounds like you've gotten is that i'm um is that I'm getting emails and responses which indicate to me that the majority of them are watching the videos and uh, but I don't do anything special I just put them out you know as an announcement in the course and maybe this is another thing that helps is right at the beginning of the class in the welcome video I say listen up the essentially the only feedback you're going to get from me in this whole class is going to take the form of these feedback videos which are going to come out every week if you do not tune into these feedback videos this is going to be a very very difficult and lonely class for you So please watch the feedback videos. I think it would be great if um, we could be equipped with some tools by the technical people who would let us see how many times the videos are being watched or even who's watching them if I was, uh, you know, really to get audacious in the questions I'd like to ask. But I think part of it is just frankly not giving them any other options. You know, the feedback videos are the only sorts of feedback. Therefore, you know, if you want to know what's going on, Better watch the feedback videos. Although I'm fascinated by your discovery that there is a Discord channel. Now I wonder if there's some back-channel discussion saying, hey, you better watch these things. And the students really seem to enjoy them, too.
0: I do want to point to something you said earlier, and that is, Patrick, that you set a culture uh, around watching these videos at the beginning of the course. And I know for for some people, it might be a, a bit extreme to kind of take all of the feedback in your course and move it into these optional feedback videos. I know some listeners might be more interested in maybe just kind of gradually incorporating some global feedback videos in addition to individual feedback. But if you set that culture and that expectation at the beginning of the course, it's much more likely that students will continue to tune into those videos if they realize right at the beginning that these are going to be happening regularly and that they will consistently have useful, excellent information that the students will be able to use and and derive benefit from as they continue through the course. But to your point about what you are able to to see in the Canvas videos, who's watched them, how many people have watched them, Canvas is now built in uh, what's called Canvas Insights, and if you go uh, toward the bottom of your embedded video, you should be able to click on that Insights tab, and this will show you how many. How many times the video has been watched? How many unique viewers have watched the video, meaning, say, individuals? Uh, how many individuals have watched it? Because you could have one person who's viewed the the video seven times. That would be seven well. views, but one unique viewer. Uh, and you can also, if you scroll down a little further, see the exact names of people who have watched the video. So if you were to be extra bold, you could, in fact, go to the level of emailing Joe Smith and saying, hey, I've noticed you haven't been watching my video feedback announcements. Why is that, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> but that is well. now... Yeah, That is a tool that is newly available to you in Canvas.
2: Well, thank you so much for letting me know. I am now exiting this podcast to go check on my videos. <laughs> thank you. It's been a joy talking to you. That, just kidding, you, of you, course.
0: Do you currently upload your videos into Canvas Studio before you post them to your students?
2: No, I just uh, upload them. I, I mean, maybe I probably should be based on what you told me. But no, I just upload them straight into, right. you know, I just load up the announcement and, you know, in the yeah. upper... Bar, there's a load video, so I just click right. that, and then away I go. So I, I think if you
0: upload them to Canvas Studio first, and then post them into your course from Canvas Studio. That is how you'll get the insights. Like you can edit and everything off of Canvas Studio.
2: Sure. And then
0: just upload it there and try it. See what you get there. Because
2: oh, I love it. I Those love insights
0: it. really cool. I'm wondering, Patrick, do you feel like your students? really respond a little bit more to those videos because they're so visually engaging and, in, and incorporate so many fun, popular culture references.
2: I really think what the students key into is back when I worked at the newspaper, I sort of developed an operating theory of humanity. And rightly or wrongly, and I, I don't mean this, it could come across as being very cynical, but I don't mean it that way, is what humans want in, in all of life, what all of us humans want, is to see ourselves reflected in the world around us. We want to know that you know, something we've done, something we've contributed has made a difference and has appeared in other people's lives. And so I think with a global feedback video, you as the instructor get the opportunity to deliver that. You, know, you can produce you know, something where they can see their own work being seen by others. And I really think that's the key is that that they have that opportunity to know that what they've done is being viewed and appreciated by a wider audience of their peers.
0: As you think back on your own experiences, what's one thing you wish you knew earlier in your career about teaching or creating those meaningful learning experiences for your students?
1: You're never going to get a perfect teaching evaluation. Um, You're going to be judged for being too easy and too hard. And to middle of the road in the exact same class. Um, You'll be judged for providing too much feedback and not enough in the same class. Uh, Every student is different and your style can't possibly be ideal for each student in your class even if it's a small class. So just do your best and try to cater to the student preferences as you're able to and as it aligns with your ideals.
3: I think that was so well said. One of the things that we talked about earlier is just the ability to know that you're not the expert all the time. You certainly are bringing some skill sets and some experiences to the classroom and understanding that students really can benefit from that. But the more that you can allow for students to learn from each other, the better your class will be. And I think it took a while for me to not only humble myself, but also to understand how to get the class engaged with each other so that I could learn and they could learn and that we would all be able to come together and have the best learning experience for the group, not just for an individual.
2: I think for, for me, it comes to, um, and here comes another pop culture reference. I've been watching Ted Lasso lately. I think it comes from recognizing that, that I'm not the star of this show. I'm I'm not Jamie Tartt. Um, I'm uh, I'm the coach. I'm the guy standing on the sidelines, and it's the the students who are out there making the big moves. and And really, my job, my only job, is to facilitate them being as best as they possibly can when they're trying to do those things. It's not about me. I'm I'm a facilitator. I'm I'm there to help them achieve their goals. Not not in the classroom context to achieve my own goals. Obviously, I have those and I pursue those, but within Within the context of being a teacher, a professor, an instructor, you know, I'm I'm not there for me, I'm there for them.
0: That is fantastic. And thank you all for joining us again today. We're here with James Sultan, Patrick Sherman, and Emily Falconer. Thank you for participating in this pilot episode of Faculty Roundtable.